so I sent you a picture of um, my current uh, kind of strange desk setup, and and you just uh, noticed one of my um, most prized possessions. Uh, your bottle of Advil. Yes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I, as an adult entering middle age, I didn't really think um, everything would happen so fast. I'm I'm beginning to uh, to get nervous about that. Yeah, I guess my best story about this topic is um, a number of years ago, probably in college, uh, when I was in Costco, I noticed that they sold, you know, large, you know, Costco sized, as you would expect, bottles of Advil. American sized. <laughs> right. And I thought to myself at the time, that that's ridiculous. Who would ever possibly need that much Advil? Ryan in five years. It, in less than five years, about three years later, I found myself thinking, hmm. I go through bottles of Advil alarmingly quickly. Maybe I should just go ahead and invest in one of these Costco sizes, which I did. And um, that bottle actually just recently uh, ran out. And I've switched to the um, the liquid gels. Ah, uh, it's all about the candy coating. You see, I, I agree with that, but it's probably, in fact, I almost guarantee it's a complete placebo effect, but I just find that the liquid gels work better. Because for me, I don't have any like chronic muscle pain or anything. It's just sometimes, uh, depending on uh, stress or um, just some level of, like discomfort, like I'll get like a minor headache, mm-hmm. which that which that will help with. But I've never had an issue with the effectiveness or the um, the facts, uh, fast action behavior of my my medication. <laughs> what what do they advertise it as? What what do liquid gels do in all the commercials? I think I think it's they. I don't know. They get into the, like the medicine gets into your system quicker, something like that. Like, is it that like the the coating disintegrates faster? Is that the deal? I think so. Yeah. I I also appreciate that the regular Advils are, are very small. I don't enjoy uh, large pills. That's fair. Yeah. What right, what so the, what has what has happened to the show? Again, I I approached middle age by age twenty seven, and I <laughs> and I'm not even joking about that. I feel like I've aged more this past year than I have in ten. We you didn't really have a childhood, so I mean, at this point, I guess you're basically in your 40s, right? Uh, most definitely approaching 50. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't look at you don't look a day over 60. <laughs> True, in more, in more ways than one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, so let's let's get started here for real. Um. Oh, so uh, actually, can I? <laughs> sure. Yes. Because again, I, I don't want to. Because I think you're going to drive this. Uh, episode into a very specific direction so i want to get a couple of things out okay we need to uh downsize the nba can hmm. we can we do this no probably not you mean we shouldn't or we like us two people cannot no we should but it's just not going to happen so maybe i just don't pay much attention and that's quite all right because again uh basketball only slightly edges out football in terms of sports i do not care at all about but I did not know that preseason NBA games were a thing. Is it just that they're becoming more popular or more heavily advertised, or has that always existed? Uh, it, it's kind of always existed, at least in terms of the number of games that there are. But the, the difference lately is that the NBA has been using the preseason as a way to promote the league really around the world. Like the Clippers and the Hornets went to China. Um, the Lakers went to Hawaii. Um, there were a couple of other teams that um i can't think of i I lost track of where all the teams went but it's it's being used as a way to promote the league globally so i think i think as a result of that you've maybe heard about it a little bit more uh, than you have in the past 
Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's, it sounds like the NBA season should be half over already. And to my knowledge, it starts this week. It started last night. Yeah. And there's 90 games in a regular season? 82. Yeah, that's a, that's a, lot, of, that's a lot of fake uh, falling to the floor. <laughs> a lot of too, flopping, too much, yes. Too, too much for me. Again, because like baseball doesn't, it doesn't have that. Like you have like kind of maybe sometimes the overly dramatic getting out of a, the way of a pitch. But you, you don't just like fall and just pretend like you broke something and like look ref or, or look second base umpire. It just doesn't happen. But of course, you know, the thing that baseball does get correct uh, is its length with 162 games. Sure. <laughs> Again, it's, it's never enough. I mean, so the NBA season, I agree with the, your sentiment. It's too long, and there actually are a lot of people, even in the league, mostly players, who think the season is too long. Uh, but, you know, for every game you take away, you're essentially just taking away revenue from the league and, you know, more specifically, the owners. So, you know, in order, and, and in order to make these types of changes, you need both the agreement of the players and the owners. And the owners simply are just never going to agree to it. Yeah, that sounds about right. So it's, you know, I think it would benefit the league in a lot of ways. Um, there are too many injuries. There are too many uh, games, particularly back-to-back situations where players just take the, the night off. Um, you know, it, it uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, not, it's not good for the league to have this many games, but it, it's going to be impossible to change, I think. And how many people are on a team and how many people play in an average game? Um, so there are, I think you can have 15 players on the roster at any given time. And typically depending on the team and the coach, anywhere from eight to 11 guys will play. Okay. All right. Well, uh, see you in, uh, see you in April. The, the other, I think the real problem with the NBA actually isn't so much the length of the regular season. I mean, I, I do agree, again, that it's too long, but I don't really think that's the real problem. I think the, the true issue is the playoffs. The playoffs are way too long. And how do the playoffs work? Because I, I know there are two conferences. There's an East Coast and West Coast thing, not like a baseball thing where it's scattered. Right. So it's just, it's just you know, two conferences, best eight teams from each conference make it. And it's uh, three rounds of best of seven in each oh, conference. God. And then the two teams that make it out of that go to the finals. So it's, you know, it's four, um, four rounds of best of seven. So Hold on, let, me, let me get my math going. That's 28. Very and good. Then how ma- and then there's best of seven for the NBA finals as well. Right. 35 postseason games? One, no, so it's three three rounds of best of oh, seven. Gotcha. So twenty eight total possible okay. games for a team, um, and you know this goes from the middle of April through the middle to end of June. So it's you know it's a full two month process, which it, it just it's simply too long. Again, in, in my perfect world, that could be the regular season. Well, yeah, it'd be an exciting season because then you'd have something on the line. That's the uh, for the one thing I will give football credit for is that it doesn't. Like it gets overhyped and and but twenty games, that's fine. Well, I, I think and also you know the way that the NFL is maybe a better example too is their playoff structure is enormously exciting. You know, single elimination, nothing can beat that. And I you know I don't think that's necessarily the solution for the NBA. There's there's just too much randomness that you introduce. But um, 
I think by dramatically shortening the series, you do add a ton more excitement. Well, good. Maybe one day they'll fix it. Probably not. <laughs> well, the uh, the NBA is where the money is, right? Uh, kind I mean, of. The, the, like in terms of licensing rights, like the Lakers got a huge deal in LA, didn't they, for uh, the broadcast rights? Isn't that kind of going up? It is, yeah. No, the the league as a whole has been doing very well, and the you know the value of teams, which has been shown. Uh, through the sale of the Clippers and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks, who which have all sold in the last couple of years, I mean those values are just through the roof. Yeah, and and football has to be uh, nearing its peak. So yeah, yeah, that's that's probably true. All right, all right. Where where do you want to where do you want to get this started? Uh, well, is there anything else you want to get out of the way before we, you know, get to the topic that you alluded to that I that I wanted to get to? Oh, uh, we can talk about. Well, so I think uh, I don't think I can properly license this from John Syracuse, but I think this is going to be episode 101 of Hypercritical. <laughs> okay. Kind of, except I'm going to have to rename it and bleep that out for licensing reasons. Sure. Yeah. No. We'll we'll take care of that in post. Um. So we can. Uh, do you want to talk about Apple TV a touch? Because I did not buy one, but you still seem. Uh, moderately excited for it sure uh so the these went on sale monday so two days ago um and as as a little side note it's been kind of a weird pre-ordering process because when you uh when you went to order the apple tv you were presented with two shipping options which is not typical of pre-ordering apple products you had an expedited option and a standard option uh, the expedited option you had to pay, I think it was $17 for, and you would get your Apple TV this Friday, the 30th. Or if you just opted for the free standard shipping, you would get it anywhere from November 2nd through November 4th, so Monday through Wednesday of next week. So kind of a weird choice, which I just, I don't know, I, I was a little off-put by that. Um, but then to kind of add insult to injury, as, as you're famous for saying... News came out today that it's likely that we're going to see these just available to buy in store on Friday. You just thought that wasn't a thing anymore in the new Angela Angela Aaron's era. I I just I don't know. I just figured that if you were the first ones to order it online, that you would presumably get it before anyone else. Yeah, I don't think Apple or I don't think Apple TV is um, is quite iPhone in terms of there being like on launch day. It's just a TV accessory. Yeah, so the anyway, the, the plan's going to be, I think, if there's an option to, you know, reserve one in store come Friday morning, which I could then easily pick up after work, I think I'll do that and then just return the one that I ordered online to the store. Is that really worth it? Well, the Apple store is, you know, literally a five-minute walk from my apartment. No, but so. the returns part. Well, again, like the, the, store is, <laughs> the store is five minutes away from my apartment, so the return's pretty easy. And there would be, like, reason for return? I couldn't wait two days. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just going to be like, yep. I, I'm just going to tell... I'm actually... I'll probably even just keep it simpler than that. I'll just say, yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> and they'll be put, noted in your permanent record. It, it probably your, will Your be, Apple yeah. ID will be tagged with, uh, he's one of those people. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Well, all right. So what, what are you most excited about? Because, again, we need to remind people what, what is different or what's what's the... Why is this better than the current ho- a square hockey puck? Yeah, so I guess I don't want to turn this into just complaining about the ordering process. <laughs> so the the box itself, um, so the key features are 
uh, apps. So we now have a third-party app store similar to what you know we've come a, come to used to on iOS and of course OS ten. <laughs> Can't say that with a straight face even. Um, we've got a new remote control featuring a Siri integration and a touchpad. Um, and then along with Siri integration, we've got this sort of universal search function where if you, you search for something, you're going to be searching across not just iTunes, but across all of uh, the services which are connected into this, which I think at launch is Netflix, HBO, um, Hulu maybe, a couple of others. Um, and the Apple has said they're going to open up that API for others to plug into it as well. Um, new interface, you know, pretty much a brand new operating system with it's called TVOS. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that sort of that sort of covers uh, the main features. And I think the one that I'm probably most excited about uh, are the apps. And it's you know like everything else that's kind of the new marquee feature with Apple products. It's going to take time for developers to really get caught up. So I don't think, you know, come Friday or early next week, whenever, you know, we end up getting this thing, I don't think it's going to be like, oh, there's going to be a million just fantastic apps right out of the gate. Instead, it's going to be something that, you know, over the course of the next um, few months, we're going to kind of see how that shakes out. But I'm, I'm excited to see what developers do. Okay, cool. Well, I really hope you enjoy it and you'll give us uh, your first-hand review and see if it uh, displaces the TiVo bolts in your life. Because you're all, all about those uh, TV peripherals right now. Uh, yeah, I've got... Let's see here. How many boxes are connected to your television that could potentially play Netflix? That's that's the good barometer. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm, I'm looking at here. So there's the TiVo bolt. There's the Apple TV, the, the, you know, the current one. Uh, there's my TV itself. Uh, the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, Wii U... Well, that's funny. My Xbox just turned itself on because it thought I said it, it thought I said Xbox on. Oh, this interesting. Is the, this is the future. This is the future. Yeah. So I've got like six boxes that can play now. And, and I think technically your gaming PC counts too. Yeah, I guess that's true. So seven. And I could I could also AirPlay from my MacBook Pro, iPhone, and iPad. Yeah. But that's that seems like it's kind of stretching it a little bit. A little bit. It is nice that AirPlay is embedded in uh, El Capitan now. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I don't know. I've never really used it, but... Hmm. If I'm going to AirPlay, I'm going to do it from my phone or my tablet. It makes sense. Okay. Anything else before we get to the big news? Did we want to talk about the Airbnb ads last time? We didn't. No. Do you have any uh, quick opinions on that? Were you as off-put as, it, like, as most people? Yeah, they're disgusting ads. I mean, it's 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 in complete poor taste. So why don't you why don't you tell the people about these? Well, I think everybody's already seen it, or or probably. But there were some uh, bus uh, muni station ads and a couple of billboards that Airbnb uh, bought out, stating uh, they were calling attention to the fact that they were finally legislated into paying taxes, and it and it should be noted that they somehow weaseled out of paying half of them. So the twelve million dollars that they did pay to the county of San Francisco. Uh, they said, uh, like, to dear tax collectors, don't spend it all in one place. I think the other one was, uh, maybe you can keep the libraries open longer now. Like, re- really passive-aggressive, uh, lame stuff for a company that has made its mark off of 
do you think they're contributing that much to uh, the the rental crunch? I think it's I think it's really hard to say. I don't really think we've got good data to say one way or the other. Yeah. But overall, in, in, uh, for a company that is bankrolling a uh, because there's a proposition uh, in San Francisco County that is going to grossly limit the ability for people to rent out their residences uh, for certain periods of time out of the year. Uh, Airbnb is spending, I think, $12 million or, or more, probably more than that to defeat that. And uh, this seems like really poor timing for a company that's trying to not um, get their business operations in their hometown greatly curtailed. That's what I was going to point out is, I mean, first and foremost, not only is this just in poor taste, which I think is kind of the the most important thing to highlight, but it's also just not good business at a time where you should be trying to build up as much goodwill as possible. You're coming out with a thing that's going to anger people like nothing else. Yeah, I just fear that regular people or or just most people won't care enough. Well, and they, they did take the ads down very quickly. So it's not one of those things that I think was around long enough to maybe you know, get as much attention as it would have had they chosen to leave them up. Sure. So anyway, that was a good uh, internet getting angry, uh, good Bay Area, Bay Area Twitter fight thing. But, so a, was... but an example of where the, the internet getting angry is a good thing. First time in a while. <laughs> yes. For every 20 witch hunts, uh, there's one uh, reasonable bout of anger. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, and then I, I've got one gripe about Microsoft Office, but I think I'll lump that into the uh, to the iMac discussion. The big topic, okay? Is is it time? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, so we we teased this briefly last week by talking about sort of your purchasing decision uh, behind your new shiny 5K iMac. Uh, but since last week's show, you've actually gone through the setup process, and you've now been using it for uh, what five days, six days. Uh, just about, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you have some extensive notes and uh, maybe maybe even, you know, like a speech prepared. Um, so, so please tell us about yeah, these, first, uh, these first few days with your iMac. Sure. So overall, I think it's fine. I think I discussed my motivations of why it, it made sense. It's, it's a, Apple finally released their second generation of it uh, last two weeks ago. And I've slowly learned my lesson never to buy the first generation of anything from Apple after the uh, Retina MacBook Pro first-gen debacle uh, with the image retention on the screen. So yes, yeah, so the 5K iMac is pretty uh, pretty okay. So I, it's 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 fast; it gets the job done. So I, I think it's I think it's good enough. That's all I got. <laughs> Again, I I don't really know what to say about it because I think it's a known quantity. It, it's a Mac that I, I expected out where it's the fastest one possible. It is pretty speedy um but i'm using the same keyboard and mouse for it i previously had a 25 inch screen so it's not terribly different retina is nice but it's not i mean it, it's just better in, in most respects but it's I, i'm not sure i have too much to say about it so what what prevents this computer from being amazing why is it just fine or okay uh a whole ton of things uh well so that that I do that I do have a a big uh, a big list for uh, prepared in my mind. It's it, it's too darn big. I think we've discussed at length that uh, the fact that there's only ginormous and colossus available as pricing options. 
Which by the which by the way, that that's the official tagline on Apple.com. You're not you're mm-hmm. not making that up. No, no. I forget which one's which. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. No. So yeah, I mean, twenty-one inches is is too too small, I would say, um, and then twenty-seven inches is too big. So I, I wish there was something right in the middle, like the twenty-five inch display that I had before, which actually had also a very narrow bezel on it, was extremely nice on my desk. And now this computer is just is too big, which is preventing me from using uh, this microphone stand in the, in the way that I normally would. Um, so I, w- I wish it was smaller. Also, because of the design choices that they've made. Like you, you know what the iMac looks like, right? I'm I'm familiar with it, yes. Or I mean, from like the back and the sides. Yes. So I mean, they do this thing where like the edges of the of the back and sides of it taper so that it's incredibly thin on the sides, but and then it kind of just uh, gets fatter throughout the back towards the stand. And if they just didn't do that and they just made it thicker all the way around it wouldn't have such a gigantic bezel on the outside of the screen and they could just make it a smaller computer while maintaining the screen size and it, and it frustrates me that they didn't just do that. So are you saying that you find the bezel too large? Yes. Again, because the Dell monitor that I was using before had like just a ridiculously tiny bezel, like I think like maybe a fifth of an inch. Uh, I got really spoiled by that so that I was able to use a really large display but not have... A gigantic thing on the desk so one going to 27 inches is already larger than i'd want but then there's this like inch and a quarter on every side of it that seems kind of unnecessary whereas if apple just compromised and just made it a little bit thicker it which is a dimension that nobody cares about it it could be much better and smaller and lose nothing it it is a really really odd design decision. I mean, we we've, we've talked at length on the show about how it's frustrating that Apple doesn't just, you know, make the new MacBook a tiny bit thicker so that it can have things like better key uh travel on the keyboard, um be a little bit faster, have a bigger battery. But, you know, at least you can kind of play devil's advocate with a laptop and say, "Well, you're trying to make it absolutely as thin and as light as possible because you know you're moving around with this thing all day long." Sure, but on a desktop, it it doesn't matter. Exactly. I mean, it just there's just not that argument on a desktop. So I just I don't even know like what the the counterpoint would be to saying that it's ridiculous that Apple tries to make these things thin. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> It, it can have nice sharp edges and it can have nice lines, but it it's just, yeah. I don't want to be too complaining about because it again, it's it's a computer I like, but it it there are design compromises that they make that they just don't have to, and it and it makes a lot of things tangibly worse. So, so that's fine. Um, so yeah, that's too big. Also, in terms, so the native resolution, like the screen is 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 gorgeous and and the the clarity the the retina resolution the color reproduction it's all just perfect uh the only issue that i would have with the actual display itself is that inside the operating system where you can choose whether to run it at native resolution or uh choose a scaled resolution where you can either uh, see everything larger or smaller the native resolution is just a touch too big for me but also my in my uh elder in my middle age uh, more space is too small for me. And that's, if you put it on more space, well, like there's five settings. There's default, and then there, which is the native resolution. And then there's two ones that make everything bigger and then two notches that make everything smaller. 
So even the one notch that emulates a resolution that's closer to, let's see, um, 2880 by 1620 instead of the 2560 resolution, everything does get too small. And I, I think something that Jason Snell has mentioned is, is you kind of get lost in the display. Like the menu bar gets too small and applications that um, dock their tools to the edge of the display, like InDesign and Photoshop, will uh, become a little bit harder to use. So I used it in the more spaced mode for about three days, and then I've switched back to uh, default for display, which is still too big, but I guess my old person eyes, it's actually nicer. Yeah, that's what Jason said too, is he sort of goes back and forth between those two settings, depending on what he's doing, but he does end up spending most of his time in the default setting. Um, I, I find that to be the case with the Retina MacBook Pro to a lesser extent, where I think something in the middle between the default and the more space option would be ideal. I actually end up leaning towards uh, the using the the more space option, which you know I, I think just by virtue of being a significantly smaller screen ends up making more sense. But I I, I do think it's similar in that I do wish there was again something sort of in the middle of those two settings. Sure. Like, but on the laptop specifically, both on the 15 inch and the 13 inch, like the native resolution, everything is, is gigantic. And I think the first more space notch is perfect. Um, so that, that, that I'm completely fine with, but on the desktop, it seems just, uh, in, insane. Yeah. And that's, um, that's kind of a shame because to me, that's one of the most important things in a display is making sure that you've got it tuned in such a way that you've got enough space to work but you're also not straining your eyes to see everything and so that that does seem like kind of a, a big bummer that you you haven't really been able to you know get a setting that meets both those criteria sure and and with the the native resolution again because the screen is just so big i i don't think i'm straining for um for workspace so that's not it, but I just think everything is a little bit larger than I want to, and I don't feel like scaling down uh, text size and individual applications and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I did get I did get spoiled using Lightroom in the more space mode for a while, and then uh, now now all the uh, side panels and everything are, are are big. Well, I think though that's like that's what Jason had said he sort of does is when he's working with apps that really do benefit from the extra space, he'll you know switch it to to more space, and then when he's just doing day-to-day -day work he'll have it in the default setting so maybe you could do something like that i i don't think i can but just because uh, it, everything else changes about that so, like i'm i'm somebody who's i'm very aggressive about hiding applications and i will use i don't use mission control in the sense that like you have different desktops but i do enjoy using expose to find windows and i do lay out windows deliberately when you change a resolution like that things aren't in the same place mm. So that that would drive me absolutely nuts, and I'm not one of those. Uh, I I'm not a full screen person, which which is a concept, especially on a 27 inch screen that that boggles my mind, that anybody would ever use any app in full screen. Um, so that that's not happening. Well, I I feel your pain about uh, window uh, placement, given that I'm now hooking and unhooking my Retina MacBook Pro to an external display. That's what I was gonna. So when you said, "Oh, I can just." I think you'd suggested that uh, your lady friend said because you have an external display, it's fine. 
And I was going to be like, no, it's not. Because you're going from a 13-inch workspace to a 24-inch workspace. Like, disregarding the fact that the retina resolution has scaling issues on its own, moving between retina and non-retina all the time. But all your windows probably, I don't know how OS X does it, because I mainly remember from, uh, uh, like, Microsoft Windows, is that, like, all your apps get, like, stuck in, like, the top left corner. Because that's essentially, like, all the usable space you would have had. So that seems like that'd be maddening. It's not ideal, no. <laughs> that's the gentleman's way of putting it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, that's, I, I can't do that. Yeah. Because that is the sensible way to do it, but just no. I mean, it, it, you know, putting aside the window resizing, what I could do is, you know, buy something like a hinge dock, like I think I've mentioned on the show, and just, you know, pop the laptop in and out pretty quickly. And... But that doesn't change the, the fact that you're changing resolutions all the time. Well, that, that's what I said, putting aside that issue. Oh, okay. Everything else about that setup seems fairly perfect, particularly my specific use case. Um, kind of. Yeah. Well, but it just, you know, I, I can't... <laughs> it's, it's really yes, hard to can. justify a $3,000 computer. I just return, uh, return the Apple TV. Nobody, nobody needs apps. Hmm. Well, that that hundred and fifty dollars would help, but it it wouldn't quite get me. Oh, there. you got the thirty two gig version? Of course. They, they come on. You need the sixty four gig for reasons unknown. <laughs> I like the fact that they, they just didn't, they're like, we don't know why. Yeah. People will buy the bigger one probably. Yeah, I should have brought that up when we were talking about the Apple TV. But yeah, it, it is very strange that they offer two sizing options on it. Also incredibly strange or or infuriating. It comes with twice the storage space that the top of the line iPhone comes with at the entry level. All right. Anyway, back to the computer. Um, yeah. So the screen's too big. The design choice they make it, it it could have a narrower bezel. Like I I I assume that the Apple like assumes everybody's gonna have this on some like uh, amazing four thousand dollar desk from Design Within Reach or something. But um, you ever been to that store? No, I don't think so. Uh, I guess I need a link. This this store infuriates me because the name is Design Within Reach, but it's all um, like four thousand dollar everything for uh, like hipsters. Well, not necessarily within your reach. It's uh, I'm, who's reach? <laughs> like I don't want to deal. I'm not trying to be like Jer- uh, Jerry Seinfeld, but seriously, who who can afford this? Hmm. Anyway. Um. So yeah, weird weird design choices that Apple makes. Uh, too big. Um, it's incredible. Finding a wallpaper is extremely difficult because any wallpaper that you might already like is probably designed at best for like a 24 or a 27 inch, uh, non-retina monitor, which looks terrible on a, on a retina resolution at that size. So that, that's, uh, that's becoming a, a critical problem in my life. That does seem like kind of an issue, but it also seems like a total, you know, as I've told you a couple of times this week, as we've been texting back and forth about that, a, a total first world problem. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think anybody complaining about their, their, uh, a computer with 13.7 million pixels can't have any complaints. So that's probably true. Hmm. I should probably just cancel this whole show. Pro- probably. You should probably just return the iMac. No, I can't do that just because the other setup had so many issues. That I, I just can't do it. Yeah, so, I mean, tell me some good things here. This has been all the kind of the, the down points so far, but, but tell, me, tell me what you like about this thing. Again, it's, it's fast. It's silent. Um, 
the screen quality is great. Um, again, it just it's it it's it's a Mac. Like I, I can't say all that much about it. It just it it works well. I'm glad I got the uh, four gigahertz processor. I'm glad I have 24 gigabytes of RAM because apparently when you have um, a higher resolution display, somehow things take up more RAM that I didn't really factor that in. So I actually, uh, when I was doing a lot of work this weekend, I actually did exceed the 16 gigabytes of RAM that my old computer would have had. So I, I do enjoy that. And yeah, it's just, it's nice and speedy. I don't play games on it except for Midtown Madness 2. So I, I haven't stressed out the um, the graphics processor to see if getting the, the really, really nice one would have made a difference. How uh, How does that look on a 5K display? I don't ever put it in full screen because I'm just not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Again, VMware runs very nicely in a because it's it's uh, I have it set to 1280 by uh, 900, so a, a, a typical um, a Windows uh, Windows XP resolution. Right. Yeah. So yeah, overall it's pre- it's uh, pretty nice. It, it solves a lot of the issues and it and it it irons out. Well, ooh, can I go back to another complaint? You may. And again, this is all in light of um, having listened to uh, this week's upgrade, which had Mike Hurley talking about the same computer in almost the exact same configuration. And he made a lot of points that were were dead wrong. So the speakers on this thing are terrible. (laughs) Yeah, he had said they were really good. I do not know what the hell he's talking about. They're very loud. Like, like it, it, it will fill a room. Like, it, having it half volume is, like, insanity. It's, it's extremely loud. But they do not sound good. Like, I, 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 to the point where I will, I'm thinking, I'm just going to start plugging in my sound like mini to it because it'll just sound so much better. Like, if I'm just listening to a YouTube video or something, that's fine. But if I'm, if I'm actually listening to music or something I care about, it, it does not sound terribly good. Again, a problem that could probably be remedied by making the computer thicker. So that was a, that was a kind of a weird thing, and also um, not not to make this is it is it follow out or what's what's the thing where you comment on other people's podcasts? I think that I think that's the follow out part. Yeah. Okay. So follow out on on this week's upgrade. Uh, what kind of weirdo turns off their computer every day? <laughs> so 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 both both Jason and Mike said they like turning off their computer because they like knowing it's like not on or something, which is insane. Like my, most of my computers, unless it crashes, have uptimes of like months. It's it's not insane if you're running Windows, but but the, you, we're running a modern operating system that has protected memory, and when an app crashes, it doesn't crash the whole machine. That's what we spent the past fifteen years working on: modern operating systems. Right. Oh, it's just insane. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Because again, just put the display to sleep and just tap the space bar, and then you're good to go. I I did. I did sort of again to play devil's advocate, which I'm guess I'm doing this episode. I, I kind of, kind of, very little bit understand the whole sense of well, you know, I turn my computer off and that gives me the feeling that the day is over. But that's that's kind of a it's still kind of a weird thing. But it's not though because you have like eight computers. <laughs> like I mean, you you have your computer in your pocket. You have you have your, you have your Kindle. You have your iPad. You have uh, your, like, there are so many, like, it's not like, it's not like the 1980s where, like, you could turn off your, like, and there was no more internet. Like, nothing was coming at you. That's, you're just making it harder on yourself because it's not like people can't bug you anymore. You still have your phone, the most 
and you have, you have your watch computer. Well, but I think with both of them, the iMac represents sort of their you know workstation. They really use it exclusively for work. And then they, I think, from what I can gather from what they've said on the show, they tried to not use their other devices for work. So, but just close the the apps that are relevant to work. Yeah, no, I believe me, I I can't make a good argument to support it, but. Okay, but that that I I I understand. I respect people's opinions or preferences, but that that seemed crazy to me. And Mike's comment about really enjoying the power button, I thought, was sort of an odd thing to point. It out. is a nice power button, but luckily I've pressed it twice. <laughs> oh man. Um. So one thing I'm a little curious about, which Mike and Jason talked some this week about Mike's iMac, was the setup slash transfer process. So what did that look like for you? So because I'm a, I'm a crotchety old man, there is, there is no transfer process. There is, I do, like I do, every every time I get an, uh, either a new computer or there's uh, an entirely new version of OS X. And th- like when I upgraded to uh, El Capitan, I was lazy this time and I did an in-place upgrade. But normally I will use that as an opportunity to completely uh, image my computer to a backup drive using SuperDuper, doing a complete erase on the computer doing a, a clean install of the latest uh, operating system from a, an external hard drive, install all the updates, and then gradually put stuff back on. Hmm. So, yes, uh, I'm, I'm strange that way. But it's, it's nice to kind of filter through, oh, I don't actually need this app. I don't, I don't ever use this anymore. And I just all I do is once I've installed all the apps that I want, I just log into Dropbox, let it re-download everything and log into iCloud Photo Library, and iCloud brings over pretty much everything else. Chrome syncs itself. So it's, it's all fairly simple. And then I will uh, just reset up my preferences and all the, the nitpicky things that I do. So yeah, so migration assistant and data transfer, is in, I'm, I'm too neurotic for that. Yeah, the, the in-place upgrade on the same machine going from one version of OS ten to the next, I, I've, I've kind of accepted that. That seems to work okay. But um, yeah, I agree with you that if you know if I were to get a new Mac, I mean, in the times that I have gotten a new Mac historically, I've not restored from a an image. That that does seem like kind of a dicey proposition. It's not even that it wouldn't work well. It's just that I, again, as somebody who grew up with uh, early versions of Mac OS and also Windows, I just have so much like baggage in my brain of like corrupt DLL files and, and, and unnecessary like installer, like just all this stuff that's like living in your computer that I know is not necessarily as much of a problem for Unix. But again, old school computer user me doesn't, it, it's mentally, I just have this big barrier to that. That's kind of an interesting way to put it too, because if I think about my phone with iOS specifically, I've never thought of, you know, I've never thought twice about just doing, you know, upgrading from one version of iOS to the next without completely restoring the phone. And that's, you know, I think maybe that's in large part because that's just what I've always done on the phone. I haven't really ever gotten used to doing it any other way. Whereas totally with Windows growing up, doing an in-place upgrade, you were almost guaranteeing yourself a bad time. So yeah, it's it's kind of it's, IRQ conflicts. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of it's interesting that yeah, you you sort of just stick with what you know works. Yeah, that that is all. I th- okay, I think that opens up a couple things. But yeah, that is insane because I do think I've been doing uh, in place like upgrades and, and backups and restores of iOS since like iOS three. Right. That that's spooky, but also maybe that's the reason why I don't trust iOS. 
Hmm. Or like the reason why I always treat it like something that can never get real work done because there's no way to like restore an iPhone device like software image piece by piece. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the criteria I think of what a real computer is. <laughs> huh? Like, but I mean, that's why I would never get real work done on an iOS device anyway, because like what happens if something goes wrong there's no real file system I can ever access. So if, if one day like an app just doesn't open or just like dumps back to the, like the springboard, like there's no fixing it other than deleting it from the app store and, or deleting it from the phone and redownloading it. And then all your data is gone. So yeah, I think that's my trepidation of doing anything substantive on an iOS device. Interesting. Man, it, it would have been, so, uh, I should have just been born uh, 15 years later. <laughs> no, I'm serious. We, I, I appreciate the fact that we went through when computers were, like, I think we went through the best time in computer development. Like, they weren't really awful. And you got to see, like, the gigantic leap, leaps forward. But you got to know when they were not necessarily easy to use. Hmm. You know what I mean? I do. Like, no, nobody knows about autoexec.bat files and, and how you start <laughs> oh, Windows. Geez. You know what that is, right? I do. Okay, and config.sys and all, all, all oh, this yeah. stuff. I, um, and, I actually, I had, to, I had to reinstall Windows one time when I tried to make some change to config.sys. I think it was for, it was probably for a video card driver. That's really what I was always tweaking my computer for. And I remember I did something where I made an, a modification, and from that point forward, Windows wouldn't even boot up. Couldn't even start in safe mode. Well, that, that's why you had to, whenever you made any edits, you had to save an original copy as config.bak. Right. Well. Uh, rookie mistake. Le- lessons learned, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, but kids these days won't have that experience. They just have this carefree, carefree attitude towards computing, where you, did, where you just tap the Netflix icon and, and pictures show up. It used to be a struggle. <laughs> anyway, huh. but at least it wasn't like you have to you have to copy. Like we skipped over the boring part, like where you have to um, you wanted a new application and you have to type code out of a like computer enthusiast magazine into your Commodore sixty four and and do stuff like that. Well, yeah, our our first machine had a version of DOS, and so you you know in order, in order to launch an application, you did have to point to the specific directory where the executable was for the game. And or then, just type win or start win or whichever one started windows i don't think that was an option for us oh for us maybe we had our, our computer misconfigured but you always had to once you got the c prompt on uh ms dos 5.22 or whatever you had to say like run win or, or start win.exe or something hmm. <laughs> back, back to os 10 or wherever this got off the rails yes um we were talking about what were we talking about? I, I, was, well, I was asking you about your uh, setup slash migration process, but it sounds like there really wasn't a migration process and this was just a you know clean, fresh install. Exactly. I do enjoy the fact that now that I've migrated a lot of what I do to Dropbox, that if something catastrophic happened and all my backups were gone and I still had access to Dropbox, I would be pretty okay. Yeah, that, that's exactly the way I feel too, where between Dropbox and then my Drobo, which is also then backed up to CrashPlan, you know, I, I really don't have anything saved locally, and I feel really good about those backups. So yeah, I, you know, whereas I used to worry all the time about, gosh, if my computer crashed today, I'd be in real trouble. But now, 
I feel like I could be back up and running in, you know, less than an hour in most cases. If I, re- if I really had to be. I mean, for me, like if I, if I was working on a project or I needed something right now, I probably, that's what I have super duper backups for where you can boot off of it. So all my preferences and my apps would be there because I, I use, a, I use a fair amount of like non-standard stuff because I'm, I'm a picky old person, but yeah, I mean, uh, like my actual important data, it is, is stored in, in Dropbox usually. My photos are part of iCloud photo library. My uh, music is stored under iTunes Match, not Apple Music. Um, and we have to come back to the whole Siri won't talk about music with you unless you pay her. Um, and then Evernote, and, like all that stuff, a lot of it's moving to cloud sources that I somewhat reasonably trust. Famous last words, but. Yeah, now, now before next week's show, like my, my Drobo's going to fail. Crash plan's going to have some catastrophic meltdown. Dropbox will get a big security breach and they're like, oh, the two, the two factor authentication codes? It was made up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was no such thing. We just wanted to make you type six digit codes for three years and, and just for fun. We, we actually should come back to two factor authentication if we have some time. I think I've, I've got a topic there. Okay. I've always wanted to be like just to mash on the keyboard and it lets you in anyway and be like, what just, <laughs> wait, what? Because it could be, it could be a fake. So it's all, all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> that the authenticator app you have on your phone is not doing anything. It's just, it's just generating random six-digit numbers that actually don't serve a purpose. <laughs> How do you know it's not? Yeah, exactly. I don't think you've intentionally typed it in wrong. It's like that Bank of America site key thing. Well, they got rid of that finally. Yeah. Because what was the point? Because if you were on like a, if you were on a hack site, couldn't the other site just type your username into the Bank of America site for you and show you the same damn thing? Probably. Security's hard. Yeah. All right. To wrap up the iMac, what what else is there? So uh, the speakers are terrible. The screen qualities. What what else is there? Yeah, I, I hmm. I feel like with a desktop, there's just inherently less to talk about. I mean. Again, it's it's absolutely silent, super fast. Um, yeah, the, the i seven was worth it. I did a geek bench on it, which I'm I'm not familiar. Like I I haven't benchmarked Max much, but my old, which was already pretty darn fast. Um, the the i seven two point six quad from twenty twelve ranked like eleven thousand, and the current gen I have now is like seventeen thousand. So I assume that's better. It's a larger number. It's a bigger number, yeah. yeah. But but no slowdowns, uh, fewer beach balls, uh, which I had been noticing more on El Capitan. Maybe that was part of the in-place upgrade. Maybe that's feeding into my uh, <laughs> never do an in-place upgrade because, you know, where you, if you did that on Windows, oh, it'd be Hourglass City all the time. Oh, yeah. And your, you know, your general startup time would also probably double. And then you have to go into MS Config and uncheck all the services. That's right. Yeah. And then you you have you have to do that on kind of like a biweekly basis because somehow half of them would check themselves back. Because comic cursor. Right. Um. So yeah. Anyway, overall, it's it's very nice. I, I enjoy it. Um. One thing I haven't talked about yet is the uh, the magic peripherals. Well, so I, I actually, it, it's like we've done a few of these shows before. Um. I I was going to say that my last question was going to be your uh, choice of input devices. It's still the the same. I, I've been using, like, in, I think I already talked about this with the old computer. I upgraded to the Microsoft ergonomic uh, sculpt line of of input devices. I I really like the um, ergonomic like raised wrist thing and, and the the nice uh, 
sensible curve that it has. So it's really easy to type on, and it has this nice uh, key layout and a key type that has good key travel, but they're also easy to press, kind of like laptop keys, but they don't feel wobbly or bad. So no, I, I love the keyboard that I use, except for the fact that the 10 key is separate, which, which drives me nuts. Um, and I actually do enjoy the mouse that Microsoft provides because um, it fits nicely in the hand, doesn't have too many buttons, and using an app called Better Touch Tool, which I recommend a ton, uh, which allows you to remap uh, keyboard keys and uh, mouse buttons. I can use the little uh, squeeze. There's a button that you can squeeze like with your thumb on the side uh, to, to uh, launch what used to be called Expose, and I don't know what Apple calls it now. But yeah, I I gave it a go for a day with the Magic Trackpad and the Magic Keyboard. The Magic Keyboard is not very good. It's better than the MacBook One. The keys are nice and firm, and they don't wobble, but the key travel is, is just too low. And also, it's incredibly loud, which, which I don't care for. Um, and then the Magic Trackpad I still have on my desk because it looks pretty, but I don't like it. So... You so you in theory could have, or you could you could use both a mouse and the uh, magic trackpad. Oh yeah, right now they're both powered on, so I can just I can switch between the two. But the thing is, like even when somebody said like, I don't work in Logic or that kind of stuff, but like I've tried working in Lightroom and stuff like that. Like, it, I greatly prefer the precision of the mouse in terms of when I'm making a selection or when I'm applying whatever adjustment I'm making inside of Lightroom. Where I think, I I don't find a trackpad would be easier. I think it'd be worse. So yeah, I, I don't understand the case that some people will make saying that um, uh, the the trackpad would be a better choice for that. Because I because none of what I do is very gesture based. Because I'm much more a keyboard driven window like manipulation type person. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Although, like I did mention last week, you know, I, I spent a couple of minutes with the Magic Trackpad Two in the Apple Store last time I was in there, and um, it, 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 I, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it, and I, it kind of made me realize how much I enjoy the trackpad on the Retina MacBook Pro as well, because when I have it with me at work, I don't have any sort of external mouse hooked up to it. I, I just use the trackpad all the time, and it's pretty darn nice. It is like I I do like Apple's trackpads more than anybody else, or I mean more more than anybody else's. But I mean that's one of the big appeals. That that's why I stopped using just the big laptop and went to a smaller laptop and and the desktop, which is that I'm just way faster and more precise with a mouse, like just in terms of scrolling and like with with the trackpad. I feel you have to think before you click. Like moving and also doing like a clicking action requires more effort and thought to make sure you're making executing the right action on something, whereas on a uh, on a mouse that's just not the case. So maybe just different different worlds. I'm gonna keep it around because it, I mean it looks nice and I'll and I'll play around with it, but I, I'm not sure it's gonna do it for me. And and I don't. I think the force uh, the force touch part of it is worse than it is on the laptop it just doesn't it doesn't seem to be maybe it just has a different threshold and uh and i'm just not used to it but it doesn't seem to respond as well as as the laptop does can you change that threshold in os 10 like you can in ios uh yes you can Hmm. yeah yeah it took me a while to figure out where that was on the 6s which i'm still not using but anyway (sighs) okay 
Um, yeah, uh, the six feels so slow right now. Anyway, so overall, uh, thumbs up to the computer, but just oh, there's so many things to complain about. Well, there there always are. Webca- the webcam's good. <laughs> I think you're thinking of the uh, FaceTime camera. Oh, they stopped calling it EyeSight? I believe so. Gotcha. Yeah, I did wish it had one more USB port, but that's about it. Uh, well, you can get a USB hub. No, you can't. <laughs> All right. Um... And yeah, I think I am going to uh, the five K wallpaper thing is one thing I'm gonna I'm gonna stick on real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've I've used I've been very happy to use it as an excuse to comb through some of my old photos and use those as uh, wallpapers. And I'm thinking I might uh, add uh, like a little five K wallpaper subsection to my uh, grossly uh, under updated website. Oh, what a nice idea! Yeah, just because that's uh, when you have a twenty-four megapixel camera, that's kind of the only thing that you have that uh, outputs uh, image files that are long enough. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe or large enough. Maybe that's just a sign that you know it was meant to be. You finally, you finally have a place to put your uh, twenty-four megapixel photos. Yeah, I haven't taken enough pictures at the ballpark. That's that's what's killing me. Well, next season it's going to be an even year. So, is actually a uh, real question. Is there a way to get tours of AT&T Park? Yes, there are. But where you can just, like, maybe not guided tour. Like, I just want to, like, take pictures there when no, when there's not a game going on. Uh, the, the tours that I know about are guided, but I, I would imagine that there's some freedom there. Okay. Got to do that. Yeah. You been on one? No. Um, I haven't. But between the giant race, which I've done a few years, um, and then having a work event there last year, I, I feel like I've kind of gotten that experience. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll see how I guess how it goes over the next you know months and years with the with the iMac. Um, I'm I'm very I'm very jealous. I think it's gonna last a while. I would hope so. You'll get one soon. Nah. You have to. I know. Come on. I really shouldn't though. You should though. No, nah, I, I really shouldn't. Nah, you should. <laughs> If, if, if would you agree that if they ever release a 24 inch version you'll buy it absolutely okay but also the 27 no all right what do you have well so um you brought up the idea of two-factor authentication which is actually something i uh, was just talking with a friend about this evening before the show um we were we, we were making a comment about how dropbox and my apple id are more secure than any of my bank accounts because none of my bank accounts offer two-factor authentication, whereas services like Dropbox and um, your Apple ID do. And I find that really odd. Like, I, th- I think I understand the reason why, but it doesn't seem right. You, uh, kind of. Financial institutions are just different. And also, you have to think about... Like, I don't know how they would make that opt-in. Would they then have to revamp all ATMs to, like, are you going to carry, like, an RSA token on your on your keychain for the bank? Like, I, I just assume that their approach to security would be, well, I mean, let's, uh, there's, there's a lot of problems with the financial industry. Like, up until two years ago, American Express would not let you have a password longer than eight characters. <laughs> like, it's it's stuff like that that kills me, but... Like I think Bank of America and other companies will are getting better at fraud detection, knowing when you're logging in from a familiar computer and that kind of stuff to the point where the password alone is decent. 
I just don't know how they would implement two-factor authentication and not make it taxing on because again, like of like financial institutions, they have to appeal to the most um like just all users. And most people like the average bank account holder and the average Dropbox user, their level of technical familiarity is probably dramatically different. And that's not even to say the people who are using Dropbox then with two-factor authentication. So it's it's a really challenging problem. Yeah, and that's when I at the top had said I think I understand the reason. That's exactly what I was alluding to, where I just don't know how you make two-factor authentication easy to the masses. Because I mean, even, you know, as kind of a tech nerd, it can be sort of a cumbersome thing to set up. And yeah, I, I just don't know how you can make it, you know, widely accessible. Um, but it, it is just such a great security feature that it, it is a shame there isn't a way to, you know, make it easier and have more uh, services and uh, websites use it. Well, it kind of is. So, so two, well, t- three or four things that's killing me. First, do you use Authy or Google Authenticator? I use Google Authenticator. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like, because so for the financial institution thing, the thing I think that's difficult about that is that doesn't really secure your account. Like, even if you were to have, like Bank of America introduced uh, two-factor authentication for logging into your account, the banking system is built on, and like wire transfers and that kind of stuff, are built on very rudimentary things like account numbers that there's no, like, even if your, like, bill pay and, like, account summary login was, was had this super fancy password and two-factor authentication, that doesn't necessarily affect somebody or, or deter somebody from just get, having your account number. Hmm. So I, unless that dramatically changes, like unless like because I've recently have heard about Venmo. Is that a thing you think young people are using? It is. Okay. So like until something like that or Square Cash or more, not digital currencies, but things that are digital first, until those become the norm. I think that's the 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 point where that changes. Like I don't think you can shoehorn that onto the existing financial system. We have to get it doesn't even have to be like a like a new player, but like you have to move into a more virtual type of wallet. And again, that's a really hard thing to solve and I don't really know what that looks like. I agree with everything you said, but I still just think it's a shame that something like Dropbox is more secure than my bank account. But your but your bank account is inherently insecure for a whole host of other reasons. <laughs> like that's the thing like we we took forever to adopt uh, EMV to to like your your credit card like is like 16 digits and an expiration date that's pretty much it. Like again, even if you make a more heavily secured login page for paying your credit card bill, the actual like charge like that's that's the part that's insecure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, two-factor authentication, I think it's uh, it's going to continue to be a pain in the ass for everybody cuz I I I think it's probably reached its peak adoption, right? Uh I don't know about that. 
the, just for people I talk to, like the people who can't even remember their regular password, like I don't see how those people are going to make the leap to then have to one actually know their password now and not write it down in a little book. Like here's the thing that I envision happening. Like, have you been into a Barnes and Noble recently? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, <laughs> I have because uh, you know dead trees and stuff. <laughs> but th- there are um, they sell log books where that are called my password books. Oh no. No, no, that's not the bad part. Actually, I mean, I think that's that's not. I think that's better than, than using the same password everywhere. If that has to be, if it has to be one of those two, I think that's slightly better. And also, I think they would also like probably if they were to take that approach and they somehow did start adopting two-factor authentication, they would probably just write their recovery keys right next to the password, and and not not to give away the farm or anything. But what what do you do with your recovery keys? Um. Well, so the ones that aren't Dropbox, I have in Dropbox, <laughs> um, just like in a text file. All right, my head literally hit the microphone. Why? Can I, can I tell you that that's not a good strategy? Why? Because if one account's compromised and all of yours are, like let's say somebody gets, I, I just, uh, that doesn't seem like a great strategy, man. Well, so where do, you, where do you put yours? For security purposes, I can't say. Oh, I see. No, is I, it, I is do it, it. Is it Dropbox? It's partially, in, it depends on the security of the account. Some of them are actually printed and stored in a safe place. Um, and then a lot of them are inside one password inside an encrypted Dropbox. I think that's better. Okay. Perhaps would suggest doing that. Put it, putting them in one password. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll actually do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but you are right. Or, I mean, uh, that is something I, I actually am not. I don't know if the the um, printed codes that I have for some of the most important accounts are actually up to date. Should I, probably, I should probably check that. Yeah, I've actually had it on my to do list for a while to kind of do a refresh on that stuff. Yeah. How routinely do you change your passwords? Not very, because I have really strong passwords and unique passwords. You know, thanks to One Password. Do you use one password's watchtower thing? No. Okay. Do you know what that is? I do. Okay. Yeah, I always uh, I think I turned that off cuz it, it got too annoying, which is which is not a great. With the strength of the passwords that I have, I just don't really think it's necessary to to change those very frequently. Well, no, it's it's not that like somebody would get at something else. It's just that then that means your that account is vulnerable. Yeah. All right. What else do we have? This can't just be all iMac talking and downer security. <laughs> um, do you do you you were ta- you've been asking me about Microsoft Office this week? I have, yeah. Have you installed it on your Mac? No, I this week kicked around the idea of getting an Office three sixty five subscription, but ultimately decided against it. Okay, well, let me give you one vote against it. Let me uh, drop this in the Slack. Except the screen's too big. <laughs> there we go. Dude, the the I got Slack on the left side of the desktop, and it's the screenshot I just took is on the on the right side. And it's just too damn big. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's it's terrible. Oh, struggle's real. So this is the screen that you get whenever you go to open file on any Office 2016 application. So they're trying to force you into using OneDrive or LiveDrive or whatever it is. So whenever you want to open something, you have to then double-click on On My Mac. So you now have to do three clicks instead of one for no good reason on everything. 
So if they're so that's that's my uh, grinds my gears of the week. But I noticed in the screenshot that you're not signed in. Because because who uses OneDrive? Who? I I can't tell you. Uh, and also, OneDrive is is just a crappier version of Dropbox, right? Or is it more like a Flickr thing? Like, what are you supposed to put in OneDrive? I've honestly never used it. My only interaction with it was when I installed Windows 10 on my desktop. By default, every time you turn on Windows 10, it brings up a window asking you to log into OneDrive. So I, I researched how to disable that. And that, that's, that was the only thing I've ever done with OneDrive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I just like what I would have gotten with Office 365 probably actually was just the version where you just get, you know, one one computer, one tablet, and one phone. Because all I would do is put it on my Retina MacBook Pro. I already have it on my work laptop, and I don't really need it on my gaming desktop here at home. Uh, but I just, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't use it enough to justify it. The biggest thing would be just to kind of see how the Office apps are on OS 10 now, but I can always just ask you. Well, no, and, there, and there's a trial version. So, I mean, at that point, you might as well just, I mean, there's nothing to lose there. Mm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. There's got to be more this week. Um, yeah, we're kind of getting into, you know, the holiday season. Not a, not a lot's going to, I think, happen in tech between now and the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, real quick, you want to talk about Apple earnings or just a couple of things about that? Sure. So what what are your thoughts on the uh on iPads being down? I think what is it the lowest sales since 2012? Yeah, I think they were down was it 20% year over year? It's now below 10 million units, I think. Yeah. Um Do, do you think the iPad Pro changes any of that? No, I don't I don't think so. I don't I don't think the reason they're not selling more iPads is because the current uh models have too small of a screen and don't have a uh, pen. I, I'm sorry, I mean pencil. Um, I thought I'd get a, I thought I'd get a laugh there. Hmm. Um, no, sorry. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I it's it's not surprising because you know it's consistent with the trend, but um, I don't really know what to make of it. I guess other than maybe to to say that. It's kind of like the Mac, although the Mac is actually growing. So I don't even really know if that's a very good analogy either anymore. So, I mean, it, it's it's tricky because because here's what I don't know. Like, I don't know what it means for future products. I don't want to say innovation, but future products. Just because I think people want and like tablets. I think it's just that the market and Apple to a lesser extent uh overestimated or underestimated whichever it would be um the frequency with which people buy and replace them so they underestimated the useful life of an ipad and the the and overestimated how quickly they would want to replace it and so i mean that doesn't necessarily mean that it's an unprofitable or a bad product it's just that the replacement cycles are not going to mirror that of a phone so in that case does that need to be a product that gets iterated and have like new releases as like yearly, like the phone or will it continue to be more of a, cause like the iPad air two is not get, getting uh refreshed this year. Like I'm, I'm just not sure what that actually means. Cause I don't think it's, it's a product that people don't need. I just think it's the, re- the people buying their second or third iPads who aren't like the, the ultra nerds 
that's just not materializing yet because the old ones are still fine. Yeah, I, I, do, I also don't think refreshing them more frequently is going to do it either. I think... Tal- well, no, what I'm saying is, does that mean they get re- refreshed, refreshed more slowly? Oh, possibly. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't think that tablets are, are a category that people... Right, I should maybe put this a different way. Tablets just aren't a category that fulfill as many needs as a smartphone and a laptop. And I don't, I just don't, I don't, other than just a fundamental change to the way that the tablet works in the sense that, you know, it becomes a much more versatile device. I just don't know how you really change that otherwise. You can't. I mean, I don't think Apple ever suggested because. That's the tricky part with Apple's growth is that they're never going to have a product that's as successful as the iPhone because you, no matter what market it is, like the, the smartphone is so universal and incredibly important in the lives of almost everyone. Like if somebody had to choose one internet connected device or like, or computing device who's under the age of 40, I think that's the smartphone. Would it not? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and you'll know that we have uh, many millennial friends. Uh, I'm not a millennial, but millennial-aged friends <laughs> yes. who do not have their own personal computer. And that blows my mind. So I think that Apple will never have the success that they had with the iPhone. I think the iPad and tablets serve a need. And I think there are actually some people who would maybe have an iPad before a personal computer in a lot of ways. Like, does... um. Like your grandma, does she have a smartphone or just an iPad? Just an iPad. Okay. So, I mean, that's interesting that that's, that's like a device number one for her. But I think a lot of people, like, just maybe the, the legacy baggage of computing, uh, like, in the traditional sense, isn't worth it to them. Like, for us, it wouldn't make any sense. But I think there's still a ton of room to grow for the iPad, and it definitely serves a market. But it's a much smaller addressable market than it would be for a smartphone. Because a tablet is a... It's a nice to have. I don't think anybody who's not somebody who writes about technology would ever say it's uh, a necessity. Whereas a smartphone could almost always be described as a necessity. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah, so that's tricky. I do wish uh, Apple Watch was, was, was broken out into uh, its own earnings category. It's not. Did they talk about uh, units sold or did they leave that up to. Not being said. They, they did. They did. Made absolutely no comment. No. I am kind of curious to see how many editions they sold, because I want to know how much that distraction cost them. Yeah, I texted you this over the weekend. I saw my first one uh, outside of an Apple store. New money. Yeah, it was at a at a bar in the Mission. Not not the type of place you'd expect to see one either. Not like not the type of bar. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting. I actually don't even really love the way it looks. Well, it looks tacky. Of course it does. It's gold. Yeah. I mean, because if, 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 if it was a fine crafted watch, then, then sure, it's very nice. But on, on a device that you know is modern and has a technological base, I don't think it makes sense to be in gold. Hmm. Well, some people do, apparently. All right. Well, that's, I think that's about all I've got. Me too. All right. Oh. Oh. Uh, oh. What? Uh, last, last minute topic. Okay. Google's taking on podcasting. Oh yes, thank you. That I knew. I kind of had a feeling there was something that I was leaving out, but I, I got distracted by the Adele uh, thousand missed calls thing. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so Google Play uh, now has an official uh, Android podcast player, which uh, they've never had before. So podcasting has been exclusively the purview of third-party app developers. And now there is an, an official solution through uh, Google. And I guess this also means that podcasts themselves are just also available like in the Google Play Store. Is that right? To my knowledge, is this even launched yet publicly? I, th- I thought so. Like I thought what they were launching initially was a um, like a pre-release period for podcasters themselves so that they could build their uh, directory first. I wasn't sure that this was a public-facing thing yet. Well, I guess I guess you're right. So the, the, according to the Android official blog, um, the, the post titled, Podcasters Welcome to Google Play Music, posted Tuesday, October 27, 2015. Uh, they're starting with the second paragraph here. Today, we're launching a portal for podcasters to start uploading their shows to Google Play Music before we open up the service to listeners. Um, so yeah, I guess you're right. Right now, this is for podcasters. But I mean, as the sentence says, you know, soon we're going to be able to uh, have listeners, you know, download podcasts directly uh, on their Android device. So what I do like that I don't necessarily see in this um, in this page, but that I, re- I remember reading about, is that this will also support paid for podcasts. Yes. Not that I think we'll be going premium anytime soon. Now we're we're, you know, we're thinking about it. I, I think we're we're a show of the people, so. <laughs> We can't. We can't. We're not making the, our an edition version of this podcast for the highest bidder. You know, there's a sentence uh, further down on this page that says, "With more than one billion, that's with a B, people using Google Play every month, there's always something to watch, read, listen, or play." One billion people. Yeah. Hmm. Again, you have to understand, or you have to think that Android runs on everything. Especially in uh, in Asia, like everything. Yeah, it's still that's a big number. Yeah, how many? Um, I forget. Isn't it like five hundred million uh, of how many uh, iOS activations in total there have been? But that's the thing. This I think that's something that we still lose sight of is that like this, like the Android and iOS ecosystem. It's now um, eight years old. It's not that new anymore. That's so crazy. Time flies when you're not doing clean installs of stuff. Hmm. And with that, episode 55 is done. All right, let's wrap it up.